Well, if you have your Bibles, please join me in 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, I want to also add uh, that there is a new Sunday school class beginning today. We have, uh, have started several new ones here, and uh, the one today that is uh, beginning um, will be right here in the prayer room. And it's April Dice will be teaching it. It's, uh, they're going to do a book study, uh, by a book by John Piper entitled, What's the Difference? And it's just a, uh, celebrating the differences that God has designed between men and women and, and kind of an opportunity to think about the, uh, the creativity of God as he uh, has, has made all of us distinct and unique. And so if you want to have a series that will, will go a little bit along with our, our sermon series, um, jump into that class we have been, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we started a series on marriage and family, and so we've been talking about several cornerstones or several foundational principles, really two, that are so important that we need to have, uh, pay attention to in our marriage. The first, we said, was the marriage covenant, and the fact that, that, that we need to remain true to that commitment that we made to one another, and that should undergird everything we do going forward. And then secondly, last week, we said how important it was to keep the gospel the center of our marriage. And we reminded ourselves that, that Jesus' death and resurrection and, and believing that is not just something to get saved, but it, it is the foundation upon which we live our lives, including our married lives. These next two weeks, we're going to shift gears just a little bit, and we are going to devote a week each to husbands and to wives and there's an excellent passage here in 1 Peter chapter 3 that, that where Peter, in the midst of his book, his letter, he turns his attention to husbands and wives. And because uh, wives come first chronologically, we are going to uh, talk to you first today. And then make sure you bring your husbands next week because we're going to get after the guys a little bit next week. I just want to give two discla- or a disclaimer to start off the bat here. Uh, no one paid me off or gave me insider information. So I don't want any wives to come up to me afterwards and say, your husband told you to say that, didn't he? Because I promise I didn't talk to anybody this week. If you feel convicted, it wasn't because your husband, it's God's Holy Spirit. I'm just going to leave that out there for you to think through. And then uh, secondly, guys, no elbowing your wives during this sermon. <laughs> Trust God to work on his heart because... The same elbows will become flying in your direction next week if you're not careful. Thomas Wheeler was a chief executive officer of the Massachusetts Mutual Life Insurance Company. He tells a good story on himself. He says that while he and his wife were out driving one day, he noticed they were low on gas. So he pulled off at the first exit and came to a dumpy little gas station with one pump. There was only one man working the place, so he asked the man to fill it up while he checked the oil. He added a quart of oil, closed the hood, and saw that his wife was talking to and smiling at the gas station attendant. When they saw him looking at him, the station attendant walked away and pretended it as as if nothing happened. Wheeler paid the man, and he and his wife pulled out of that seedy little station. As they drove down the road, he asked his wife if she knew the attendant. Well, she admitted she did know him. In fact, she had known him very well, for it seems that they had uh, not only gone to high school together, but they dated seriously for about a year. Well, Wheeler couldn't help bragging a little and said, Boy, were you lucky I came along, because if you'd married him, you'd be the wife of a gas station attendant instead of the wife of a chief executive officer. 
His wife simply replied, My dear, if I had married him, he'd be the CEO and you'd be the gas station attendant. (laughs) I think all of us, men and women included, sometimes forget the significance of a godly wife. The impact that a godly wife can make in the life of her husband, in the life of her home, in her church, her community. And so as Peter turns his attention to speak to the wives, he has these words to say. Please follow along in verses 1 through 6 of 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. If you have your uh, bulletins and are following along, the, the first thought we have this morning is the attitude of a godly wife. The attitude of a godly wife. He starts off by saying, likewise, wives... Be submissive to your husbands. He uses the phrase likewise because he's referring back to what he has said in chapter 2. And without spending too much time there, he just got done speaking to servants, calling them to obey their masters even when they're unjust, even when they're brutal and unkind. He wanted servants to submit to their masters. In verses 21 through 24, he talked about Christ submitting to the plan of the Father as he came to this earth and died. And so in the context of 1 Peter chapter 3, dealing with marital harmony, Peter is addressing wives who need to have the ability to submit, even if they're living in an unfair or even somewhat awful situation. The word subject, some of your translations may say, be submissive to your own husbands. It's this idea of placing yourself under the authority of another. It's not a popular concept in our culture. Whether we're talking about at the home or at the workplace, we struggle with leadership. We struggle with being people who have to be submissive to authority. In our culture, would love to do anything they can to undermine the emphasis of these words as they apply to homes. They'll twist what Peter is saying and say, listen, Peter's telling you that, that you've, you've got to just do everything you're told. You don't get an opinion. You don't get to be your own person. And that's simply not true. The idea of being submissive, some definitions I read this week, the idea of being submissive would be to willingly submit to your husband's authority or leadership in the marriage. It's the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. 
Or another way of saying, it's a disposition. It's an attitude of the heart to follow a husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership. It's a tall order. And sometimes, ladies, it's a difficult request, a difficult command. I want you to notice a few things here about what he's not saying, though. First of all, he's not saying that every woman has to submit to every man. It says, be subject to your own husband. So, first of all, he's not saying that, that uh, you just have to do everything every man tells you to do. That, I want that to be clear. Secondly, notice that there's not qualifications. He doesn't say, be subject to your own husbands if he's a model of godly character. If he's a great, moral, upstanding guy. As you read on, he's, he says, the, the idea is, is that their husbands are not. Because he says this, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won by, uh, without a word by the conduct of their wives. The idea is that some of these men are, are not Christians. They're not believers. And so the, the qualification, uh, there, there's no qualification as to uh, your husband's got to do this first, and then you can choose to submit. It, he also also wanted to, to be clear that Peter is not at all saying that men are more important, that somehow men are looked upon more favorably by God. This is simply about God-ordained roles in the home. We understand roles instinctively from other aspects of our culture. You know that when you go to work, you're, most of you anyways, have a boss that you're you answer to, and he often has a boss, and, and, and she might often have another boss, and it would go on and on depending on the hierarchy of the place you work. Just because you have a boss does not mean that that person is better than you, that God somehow looks upon them with more favor because they've been given this job. No, we know instinctively that in order to, to have things function well in a workplace, there, there needs to be authority structure. Same is actually true even within the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are different roles even though they're all equal. Uh, John chapter 6 tells us, uh, I'm sorry, uh, um, John 6.38, yeah, it says, Jesus says, For when I have come down from heaven, I come down not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. 1 Corinthians 15.28 says that when all things are subjected to Christ, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to Him, speaking of God, who put all things in subjection under Him, that God may be all in all. Remember Jesus that night, as He's getting ready to, to go to the cross, He pleads if the cup could be taken from Him, if, if something could be done differently so that He didn't have to suffer, please God, let it be the case. And then He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was subjecting himself to the will of the Father. Even though he was God, he is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All one, all equal, yet different roles and responsibilities. Also, submission does not mean that if your husband asks you to abandon your faith in Christ, that you should do that. Submission does not mean that if your husband asks you to sin, that you should do that should never do anything contrary to the Word of God. That is not biblical submission. It also does not mean that you must always agree with Him and never present a differing view. Ladies, I'm sure you will give a hearty amen to the fact that sometimes we have really stupid ideas. 
and we can make boneheaded decisions. In those moments, a godly wife will come alongside of her husband and say something like this. Honey, could we talk about this a little bit? And as you talk about it and you graciously and gently explain why you feel like it would be better to go down this path, you are being submissive, yet you are able to to explain to him what you feel like is a better point of view in a godly and a humble way. And if he still feels like that's the best decision for your family, you may choose to request, maybe, can we talk about this again? Can we look at this? I just, I thought of something the other day that maybe you hadn't seen before. But at the end of the day, the decision falls on his shoulders. And here's the thing, God's going to hold him responsible for that decision as well. And as we're going to talk about next week, if a husband understands that gravity and the seriousness of leading the home in a godly way, he's going to have no desire to simply bowl over his wife and ignore her godly counsel. But he'll be open to hear and humble to receive the words of his wife. Biblical submission does also uh, does not mean that if he's unfaithful to you, you're left without a biblical recourse. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks when we talk about the idea of divorce and what the Bible has to say about that. It also does not mean that if he abuses you physically or abandons you through incessant verbal humiliation, you must remain quietly in the home and accept the daily cruelty of that relationship at all costs. Biblical submission in the home affirms that God has created men and women equal in the eyes of God. In Christ, neither sex is viewed by God is more important than the other. In the home, however, the way God has structured things, He has called the husband to lovingly lead. When these roles are abandoned, homes fall into disarray. When the husband abrogates his leadership and becomes passive and lazy, homes do not function the way God wants them to. When wives push their way to the top and, and push the husband aside and say, we're going to do things my way, get out of the way, homes do not function in the way that God wants them to. As R.C. Sproul says, marriage is a union where the two become one flesh. But if no one has the position of leadership, if no one has the final say, then there could be an endless power struggle in which everyone tries to get the upper hand. It could be a little bit like the scene in the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, where a father is opposed to the man his daughter wants to marry. And the daughter turns to her mother for help and asks, what can you do so that Papa will allow me to get married? After all, he's the head of the house. And the mother replies, yes, but I'm the neck that turns the head. We need to be careful that our homes don't become an endless turf war, but a place of love and respect. And so he tells that there's a purpose here to the submission. He, she, it says so that, so that you may win your husband without a word by your conduct. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Think about that for just a minute. What he's, what he's saying, wives, is that you can influence your husband for God 
without any words whatsoever. Now, it doesn't say that he will respond every time. But he says that they may respond. The idea is is that rather than bickering and nagging and nitpicking, you're going to let your actions communicate your desire to follow God at all costs. And that by, how does he phrase it here? By your respectful and pure conduct, you can catch their eye. He says this is the most effective way to work on your husbands. Ladies, some of you I know are married to men who do not believe in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I want you to know that besides praying daily for his soul, the most effective thing that you can do to see him come to Christ or to see a Christian man drawn back to Christ is by letting him observe your respectful and pure conduct. It will go much farther than any of your words according to Peter here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Ladies, you have an opportunity in your home to set the tone and to be able to let your kids see Christ through the way that you treat your husband. Secondly, though, after speaking about the attitude of a godly wife, he talks about the beauty of a godly wife. The beauty of a godly wife. He says in verses 3 and 4, don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting off, the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your, be, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. If you read these verses and see His command, don't let your adorning be your hairstyle, your jewelry, your clothes. He's not saying that it's, that it's wrong to give attention to those things. If, if you're quickly like covering up your hair, trying to like undo the, the iron, you know, washing off makeup or whatever. That's, that's not what he's telling you to do. What he's saying is, is that don't let your beauty be defined by those external things. Don't let who you are as a person be defined by how you look on the outside. Listen, <laughs> I know you have an uphill battle in our culture. A huge uphill battle. Because our culture mocks that idea. Oh, you're just beautiful on the inside. Isn't that nice? Hollywood, TV commercials, magazines, anywhere you turn... You are bombarded with this idea that you must look good on the outside if you're to be any person of any real beauty or significance. And I want you to know that Satan has inserted that lie into our culture, and it is thriving very, very well. And some of you today are battling against that lie. And maybe you have a husband who foists that upon you. Maybe, maybe your husband's addicted to pornography and, and, and everything that any time you ever think about your beauty, you're automatically drawn to the, the externals because that's the focus that he's put on it. 
And your husband is bought into the lie too. Ladies, I want you to hear God's word this morning. Don't confuse clothes with characters. Don't let the world define your beauty. He says, verse 5 is just, I mean, verse 4 is an unbelievable and a precious verse. Let your adorning, let the things that, that clothe you be this, the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Because that in God's sight, he says, is precious. Your number one job is not to keep the world happy, is not to impress people, and, and frankly, it's not even first and foremost to impress your husband. Your first and foremost job is to discover what is precious to God and to pursue that. And he says right here that what is precious in his sight is the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Those words give off the idea of, of, a, of someone who's hum, of, of, of a, a humble person, who's meek and considerate, who's not being tossed back and forth by the demands of the world, but is confident in who they are before Christ. Ladies, let God define beauty for you today. Let God tell you what is important. Additionally, just as a side note, dads, I want you to realize how crucial your role is with your daughters in communicating this truth. If you are not intentional about letting them know what true beauty is, they will by default be be sucked into the world's definition. Dads, we have to communicate to our daughters what God thinks is beautiful. What should be number one in God's eyes? Because if they don't, they'll get those definitions from their peers and from the movies that they see. And finally, I want us to see in these verses the legacy of a godly wife. The legacy of a godly wife. Verses 5 and 6 say, For this is how, so he's going to go to an example now. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. He lists Sarah as an example of a woman who in times past honored her husband. You remember Abraham and Sarah. God came to Abraham and said, listen, I want you to go and I'm going to show you where to go. Now, I have to imagine that the text didn't indicate in Genesis that Sarah heard those words. And so, ladies, just try to imagine your husband comes up to you one day and says, Hey, um, you're not going to believe this, but I heard a voice. And he says that we need to move away from our family and from everything that we know, and he's going to show us where we have to go. Sure. Abraham, get back out and see the sheep. Wear a hat, get out of the sun, find some shade, because we don't have any of that sort of an exchange. or No excuses, no protests, no, you're a moron, Abraham. 
But she chose to leave their home and followed. And it wasn't the first thing that that God said that probably seemed a little off. Because when she was almost 100 years old, God said, you're going to have a baby. And all the way along, she followed her husband's lead. Even when it it seemed foolish, even when it, it seemed like it didn't make sense, she willingly followed. And you may say, yeah, but I mean, like, her husband was Abraham? I mean, come on. Have you seen my husband? I mean, Abraham, he's a patriarch, a man of the faith, right? Go back and read the chapters that describe Abraham and Sarah's life. Not once, but twice, that man denied that, that she was his wife. When he was fearful of what the people in the, in the community would do if, if they saw him tagging along with such a beautiful woman, he, he thought maybe they would try to kill him so that they could take her and, and bring her into the, the palace. And so he's like, listen, honey, I got a great idea. Let's just tell him that, that you're my sister, okay, so that I don't get in trouble. I mean, the man, the man was a total coward at times. And he was an absolute bum. So God gives us these commands, reminding us that in, in the context that sometimes it's going to be difficult Next week, next week, he's going to tell husbands to show honor to your wives, to love your wives. Listen, there are going to be times when that's difficult. You know, last week we talked about some, some of the principles that the gospel teaches us. Sometimes we have to forgive, and it's not easy to forgive. Sometimes we have to love someone who is not easy to love, and we're not going to want to do it. And so God calls Wives, to be submissive to their husbands. Even if they're not the kind of husbands they should be. Even if they're not the kind of husbands that, ladies, you want them to be. But he calls you to follow in the steps of women like Sarah. Women who hoped in God. We're reminded that they didn't submit to their husbands because they had the most wonderful men in the world, but because their heart, the orientation of their heart, was directed towards God, and they desired to please Him. As we look at these verses, we're only getting one half of the picture. Because next week we're going to talk about how husbands need to love their wives. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. When, when these two things are functioning in a way that God wants them to. Because when a husband is coming alongside and loving his wife, she's going to be more apt to be respectful to him. And when he sees the respect that she's showing him, he's going to be more apt to demonstrate love and gentleness. And it can be a beautiful cycle when things are functioning well. But we live in a world that's filled with sin, and and as husbands and wives, we often treat each other in ways that don't please God. And so that's where we fall upon him for his grace. So my challenge, ladies, from 1 Peter chapter 3, is first of all to understand what he is saying by biblical submission and what he's not saying. In the way that he is calling you to honor your husbands. I want to ask you, what is one way this week you could show your husband that you respect his leadership? What is one thing that you could do 
to affirm your support for him. You may be able to come up with a dozen reasons why he doesn't deserve it, but God doesn't tell us to do that, to wait till they've earned it. Because as we celebrated at the communion table, by God's grace, he didn't wait till we measured up before he gave his son for us. And so when we choose to love one another as husbands and wives, when we choose to follow God's word, we're bringing honor and glory to him because we're choosing to obey him. And then ladies, finally, I just want to remind you, seek the beauty that is important to God. Flee from the world's definition. I know it's bombarded everywhere you turn. But look to God's word and ask him, God, today let my adorning be on the hidden person of the heart, that gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very, very precious. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we look at your word today and we're reminded of the roles of husbands and wives We know the great impact that a godly wife can have in in her husband's heart. As by her conduct, she points him to Christ and, and can influence him to lead the family well. God, I pray that our homes would be oriented around your word. That we would look at truth and not be... Not be defined by what the culture says, but but what your word says. That husbands would lead well, that wives would submit and support their husbands, and and that, that we would be able to be a godly model for our children as we seek to impact our culture. God, we need your grace to do it all. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.